strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Hey, welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. Tonight, I'm going to be doing a listener suggestion. Ooh. The topic is the Om Seti. And if you've never heard of it, it's a, a twisting, turning, interesting, life-altering, archaeologic, everything, crazy story. Sounds amazing. And um, this is one of our Instagram followers. Um, her name on Instagram is Mother Clucker. Her Thank real name, you, Mother Clucker. <laughs> her real name is Christy, but uh, Mother Clucker is pretty fun. So, thanks, Christy. So, this is the story of the Omseti. This is a story of reincarnation, and whether you believe it or not you're going to find this story hard to discount. Almost everyone who ever met her did. So in the This lun- is another one of your stories where like you get me all excited and then everything's false and then like I have to go home and I have like, are you, I, are you setting I up for failure already? I don't know what I'm supposed to, <laughs> what am I supposed to say to you? I'm, I'm supposed to give away my ending? <sighs> like, I'm always nervous every time you do a story I don't know about. Robin, I'm a storyteller. Oh my God. Let me tell you a story, Robin. Begin. This is the story of a young girl named Dorothy Louise Eddy. She was born in 1904 in a London suburb called Blackheath. She had a pretty standard, normal life. She was born. She was loved. She had a family. And everything was going uh, pretty, you know, normal. And then one day that changed her life forever. At the age of three, an accident literally turned her life upside down when Dorothy slipped and tumbled down a flight of stairs. But this was no minor spill. Dorothy, ass overhead, all Her the way baby. down those stairs. Yeah. And she was found not breathing. And the parents panicked and they called the family doctor, and their worst fears were confirmed. That sweet little angel baby was pronounced dead at the scene, after which the doctor picked up her body and placed it in her bed. He then left to fetch a nurse who would help him prepare her body for removal and burial. And that's where that story should end, right? How long do you think it took the doctor to get there? I mean, I don't know. During the 1900s. I mean, unless he lived next door, probably a good bit of time. Yeah. Somebody had to leave and go get him. There, there was, a, yeah. you know, they couldn't call 911. Thank you for very efficient medical nowadays, right? Yeah. We are very lucky mm-hmm. with modern medicine, um, as many people want to shit on it. Mm-mm. Things were much worse when you fell down a flight of stairs and were found not breathing. There was no 911. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting, if they have kids, what shapes their marriages, if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. (laughs) Podcasts on yeah, podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. So, the doctor and the nurse get back, and they open up her bedroom door, and they find Dorothy sitting up in bed, wide awake, 
as if nothing had happened. Just playing with her dolls. So we have discussed buried alive stories Mm -hmm. and that there weren't a lot of really great methods for actually knowing if somebody Mm -hmm. was dead. And if she had really been knocked completely unconscious, her breath could have been very, very shallow Mm -hmm. and her heartbeat could have been very, very slow. Yeah, absolutely. You can't tell my pulse. I I can be here all day and you can never feel my pulse. Of course I can feel your pulse. Well, yeah, you can professional, but I'm sitting here and I can't feel anything. Okay. And, you know, it was a miraculous event. She was alive. She had not died from this terrible fall down the stairs. And their life went on. But not for too long. Because after this, Dorothy began to exhibit some unusual and uncharacteristic behaviors. She became excessively nervous, jumpy, and even withdrawn. She would often hide under or behind furniture and was easily startled by the most mundane things in the household. She also started saying increasingly bizarre things. On many occasions, she demanded that her parents take her home. Whoa. Or even um, even if they were actually inside their house. She'd be like, why won't you take me home? Just take me home. So she showed a certain sense of wonder and bewilderment at certain everyday items that she should have known what they were. And things that she would never really showed any particular interest in prior to this event. And her demeanor generally became more t- detached and morose. So she was just kind of... Different, which we all know that after head injuries and a traumatic brain injury, people can exhibit different personality characteristics. And like in my mind right now, like this three-year-old is acting like someone who had passed away in their 90s a while ago and is like seeing new technology. And when I say technology, I'm like a new candle that like lights itself, you know? Well, you're not too far off from... Really? Kind cool. of the story. So she often awoke from vivid dreams in what she claimed to see ancient buildings with sweeping columns. Holy shit. One day when she was looking through a children's picture book, she came upon a picture of ancient Egypt and became transfixed by it, staring at it for long periods of time and saying that it was her other home, which baffled and worried her parents. But the strangest incident that ever happened in Dorothy's young life was when they actually took her to the British Museum in London. Oh, my dream. While meandering through the museum, they came upon an exhibit of ancient Egypt, which was full of all manner of different artifacts, mummies, statues Mm -hmm. um, of the ancient Egyptian gods and goddesses. Dorothy's eyes lit up. And then they entered the exhibition area and she came across some statues of gods and goddesses. She ran up to them and began to kiss their feet. Holy shit. Looking at photographs of the ruins of the Temple of Seti I, the father of Ramses the Great, she proclaimed that that had been her home, but that she was baffled by the lack of the gardens and trees and asked where they were. She also said that she personally knew Seti I and that he was a kindly old man. Dorothy was completely fascinated by the various Egyptian exhibits and seemed more alive than she was at any point in her life when she was actually in their midst. At one point, she reportedly screamed out loud in a voice and recited words that seemed to be from a different language that no one could understand. Eventually, her parents decided enough was enough, and they tried to get Dorothy to leave, but she resisted, claiming that she wanted to stay there among her people. That fateful trip to the museum would not be the last of the weirdness, and indeed, things only got worse for Dorothy and her family. So at this point, Dorothy's going back to like regular life. So she's got to go to Sunday school. But during one of Dorothy's Sunday school classes, her teacher claimed that she had denounced Christianity as being similar to heathen ancient Egyptian and suggested that her parents withdraw her from the class 
because she was upsetting the other children. This sort of thing also got her kicked out of the school that she went to when she refused to sing a hymn that requested for God to curse the Egyptians. Whoa. (laughs) When Dorothy was taken to Catholic Mass, she made the odd comment that she liked it because it reminded her of her old religion, which unnerved everyone around her. So with this little girl who's just yet quite right. I'm I'm it's like a horror movie. But I'm loving at the same time. Right. This is. So thank you, Christy. Yeah, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. Christy was right. She said she read this story and she thought this is a notorious narrative. And Christy was right. So in the meantime, Dorothy would make many more trips back to the museum to fawn over all the Egyptian exhibits. Between the ages of 10 and 12, she made numerous trips to that same museum, spending most of her free time there. And it was there that she eventually met a man named E.A. Wallace Budge, keeper of the Egyptian antiquities at the British Museum, who was so impressed by her enthusiasm and knowledge of Egypt that he encouraged her to try studying hieroglyphics. She started taking a class on hieroglyphics, and her teacher was astounded at how fast she picked it up, making quick progress on the subject that took most years to grasp. I am fascinated. So she's like an 11-year-old who can write with fucking hieroglyphics. I wish I was her. (laughs) Okay. When asked how she could learn such complex symbols so fast, Dorothy gave the cryptic response that she was not really learning them from scratch, but rather being reminded of her old language that she had long forgotten. She's 10. (laughs) Yes. Throughout her early teenage years, Dorothy threw herself into the studies of books on the on ancient Egypt at the local library, showing a profound and intuitive knack for it. During World War I, Dorothy was relocated to her grandmother's house in Sussex after a bombing raid, where then she spent most of her time at the library and continued her studies on ancient Egypt. It was around this time when she was 15 that she began to be repeatedly visited in her dreams by a spirit called Hora. H-O-R-R-A, mm-hmm. who told her that she was the reincarnation of a woman called Bentrashit, who had long ago been a priestess at the temple of Seti I in Abydos, Upper Egypt. Hora would frequently visit Dorothy in her dreams and over a period of 12 months told her the story of her previous life. She was told that she had become a consecrated virgin at the temple of Seti I but that had broken her vows by engaging in a sexual affair with Seti. And rather than face a certain horrific death at the hands of the high priest, she was guided and opted to choose to commit suicide rather than die at the hands of the high priest. Because you can't be a consecrated virgin if you're not a virgin. But also, a lot of the stories say that she actually became pregnant and went to someone and told them that she had become pregnant and said, if you don't, you're going to have to kill yourself because if anyone finds this out, you're going to be murdered by the high priest. So she chose to commit suicide. Dorothy would write in dream journals of what the spirit told her in hieroglyphics. And by the time she was done, she had written over 70 pages of her story, all in ancient Egyptian. These visitations also led to severe bouts of sleepwalking and nightmares, which became so bad that she visited a mental hospital on several occasions for observation. Dorothy left school at the age of 16 and toured a variety of historical sites and ruins throughout Britain, including Stonehenge and other um, ancient places. She would later move to Plymouth and become a student at the Plymouth Art School, where she began to collect a wide assortment of cheaper egyptian antiquities like Mm -hmm. you know things that the common people could afford things that i buy 
Yes. Things that Robin (laughs) would buy for 100. Anyway, she also took part in several drama presentations on ancient Egypt, taking the role of the goddess Isis. Mm Mm-hmm. She also became politically involved in working for the goal of an independent Egypt and took a job at an Egyptian public relations magazine where she wrote articles and drew political cartoons to this end. It was around this time that she met an Egyptian student by the name of Iman Abdel Megwid, um, who she ended up marrying. It was at this time in her life that Dorothy would finally go to the land that she had dreamed about for so long. So she got married, and then that was when she actually finally got to move to Egypt. It is said that when she arrived there, this is in 1931, that she fell to her knees, kissed the ground, and proclaimed that she was finally home. She would go on to have a son with Iman, who she named Seti. And this is where her nickname, Om Seti, comes from, which means mother of. And in a lot of uh, villages in Egypt, women are known by um, their children. Mm -hmm. So it's like Om is mother of, and then Seti. So Om Seti, Mm -hmm. that's the name. So uh, Dorothy actually did not stay married for very long as her husband got a job in um, Iraq and she did not want to go there. She's like, I live in Egypt. This is my home. This is where I'm going to stay. So go fuck yourself. (laughs) So she moved to live near the Giza pyramids and it was there that she met the archaeologist Salim Hassan. And he was very impressed by Dorothy's in-depth knowledge of hieroglyphics and ancient Egyptian history. It was through Hassan that she would get work at the Egyptian Department of Antiquities, and she was the first woman ever to do so. Oh, yes. Where she worked as a drafts person and a secretary. In a lot of stories, you might see it called a droughts woman, mm-hmm. um, which led me to believe that it had something to do with beverages. No. <laughs> but that is not correct. Um, <laughs> she essentially was there to be, like, it's essentially a secretary. She would help them with writings in English and just basically took down dictation. She makes copies, a lot of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So here at the Department of Antiquities, where she was the first woman to work, she worked as a draftsperson and a secretary at first, but would go on to become an invaluable advisor to the scholars with her extensive knowledge of ancient Egypt. She also became a prolific writer on the subject and a skilled illustrator of ancient sites. In particular, Hassan found Dorothy's knowledge, artistic skills, and advice so helpful that he actually credited her with being invaluable when he wrote his 10-volume series about the excavations at Giza. Ten volumes. Ten volumes. Indeed, Dorothy's expertise in ancient Egyptian history, hieroglyphics, and antiquities allowed her to become acquainted with many famous Egyptologists and archaeologists at the time. I love it. You have such Holy shit. a history boner of our... Uh, such a boner my god (laughs) Dorothy Louise so later she was actually also hired to be a research assistant by the renowned archaeologist Ahmed Fakhri as he did his Dashur pyramid pyramid research project during these years Dorothy showed various idiosyncrasies that caused uh, a few eyebrows to be raised of course (laughs) you know just super smart she knows a lot um but she's a character she's an eccentric she Mm -hmm has a certain way about her that makes people feel like they're not 100% sure that she's being serious or she's just fucking with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of seems to be the story throughout. Like, people would be like, I'm not, was she, she just fucking with me? I don't, I mean, uh, she's serious? She just, what? So she would sometimes spend the night at the Great Pyramid of Giza and was known to venture out at night to perform strange rituals, say prayers, and make offerings to Horus at the Great Sphinx. 
Despite her many eccentricities, she was well-respected for her work and was very knowledgeable in all things Egypt. Uh, she was so much so that none of her colleagues really thought much about her weirdness. They didn't question it. They were They're just, just like, like eh, oh, it's just Dorothy, you know? This is who she is. She loves Egyptian culture. She's just, she, we need her. She just knows a fucking lot, mm-hmm. you know? It was not until she made the journey to Abydos, which was the location of the very temple in her dreams, where she was convinced that she had lived a past life there, that things would make take a turn for the truly bizarre. So when she went to Abydos, she was like, oh, I, I lived here before. Mm-hmm. This is my home. So... Dorothy's move to Abydos came after Darshur's project had collapsed in 1956. So after she, she kind of like, you know, I mean, her, the project she was working on closed, so she needed a new job. And so she found herself unemployed and she decided to take a job as a droughts woman in Abydos, a move that was recommended to her supposedly by King Seti I in her dreams, in which he allegedly proclaimed to her that he had taken the wheel of fate and that it would be a time of testing for her. She decided to make her home in a humble, modest village near the temple, where she would be called Om Seti more and more, until it was how almost everyone addressed her. Om Seti's main job in Abydos was to chronicle and translate blocks within the ruins of the Temple of Seti I at Abydos, to copy down various inscriptions within the temple, as well as to draw up plans for the architecture there, all things that she was exceedingly, intuitively, almost eerily good at so is this where she meets brandon fraser and then they fight imhotep they it might be mm-hmm. okay. and then the fire sure. comes from the ceiling yeah yeah, yeah. Got right it. before the roller coaster takes the big dip mm-hmm. yeah Got it. so she also was known to remove her shoes when entering the temple perform rituals give offerings and worship the ancient gods that she believed resided there she spent so much time at the temple that she even turned one of its rooms into her office oh my god holy shit Oh, oh, you're doing this on purpose. I'm telling you right now, if I, if I didn't have to work for a living and make money, I would be out there somewhere in a ditch digging some stuff up. I'm so jealous of her right now. <laughs> I don't, even know, know, I don't even know if she's real or not. I'm so jealous. <laughs> so let's just stop. She's definitely a real person. All right. Okay. Om Seti remained invaluable to research on ancient Egypt while at Abydos and was heavily relied upon for her incredible ability to translate notoriously difficult texts in hieroglyphics and confounding works of art that even experienced researchers had trouble with, despite her lack of real extensive formal training in that area. In addition to her translation skills, the Om Seti displayed a deep understanding of ancient Egyptian customs and, tra- uh, customs and traditions, as well as a phenomenal grasp of folk medicine and various obscure religious practices, and was often consulted on the finer points of such things. She even wrote a series of books and articles on the subject of ancient folk and religious traditions for the American Research Center in Egypt in the 1960s. Throughout all of this, the Om Seti showed an innate knowledge of such things that seemed to go beyond mere study from books. Om Seti also immediately started demonstrating knowledge of the Temple of Seti I at Abydos, above and beyond what any layperson could possibly know through merely reading books or articles on the subject, and indeed things that were not to be found by any other sources to begin with. On one occasion, the director of the Department of Antiquities decided to test out Om Seti's claims of her past life there. 
she was told to stand in the near total darkness in a room in which there was a series of wall paintings and asked to locate and identify each one based on her supposed memories alone. In each and every instance, Om Sede successfully located, identified, and described in detail each painting, even though she had never seen them before and none of the paintings nor their exact locations had ever been published in any other source. Om Sede continued to exhibit an uncanny and somewhat unnerving ability to locate important lost archaeological sites as well. She's just walking out of place like, oh, so this happened on a Tuesday. Um, my mother was a real bitch that day and we got into a fight. I ran by the river and I met this like dude. It's kind of what it seems like. Right. So on one occasion, she told archaeologists to dig in one spot because she remembered the gardens being there. When they dug there, they discovered the garden of the Temple of Seti that no one had ever known existed at all, exactly where Om Seti had said that it would be. Yeah. I don't, I don't I'm know. I'm trying to say. really hard not to get my hopes up. Like, I'm like, there's like, no twist, Robin. I'm there's no twist. Fighting it hard. Just deep Ugh. dig in. There's no twist. I promise. I'm not going to M. Night Shyamalan you. I promise. <laughs> I have done it to you in the past, so I understand <laughs> I'm your so trepidation. Nervous. I'm so scared. But I promise. I'm yeah. not. I'm not. Om Seti became so renowned for her ability to find lost sites and artifacts that one English Egyptologist once famously stated during a dig, if Om Seti were still here, I would take her word for where things can be found any day over the most state-of-the-art equipment out here, much to the approval of his colleagues, who all agreed with him. This was a common sentiment in the field regarding Om Seti, and she was highly sought after as an advisor on a variety of digs by top archaeologists and Egyptologists. On another occasion in the 1970s, Om Seti proclaimed that she actually knew the secret location of the tomb of Nefertiti. She described it as being in the most unlikely place, in the Valley of the Kings near Tutankhamun's tomb. This went against all common knowledge at the time, um, which was to say that there were no new tombs to be found in the valley. And so the claim was not taken seriously, and everyone just kind of moved on. Lies! However, in 1976... Two anomalous surroundings were uncovered in a sonar reading of the ground near Tutankhamun's tomb. It was not until 1998 when anyone would actually take a serious effort to investigate those anomalies, and that was when the expedition led by archaeologist Nicholas Reeves began to dig in the vicinity and discovered several intact seals Mm -hmm. from the famous 20th Dynasty scribe Wen Nefer. Wen Nefer. In 2000, another uh, another radar scan of the site produced evidence of two previously unknown chambers deep underground, but this expedition had to be halted due to an investigation into the suspected theft of priceless antiquities. Absolutely. In 2006, another expedition penetrated into one of the chambers and found extremely well-preserved equipment and supplies used for mummification of elite royals, leading to speculation that the other anomalous chamber could be the undiscovered uh, sealed tomb of a king, just as Om Seti had predicted. Above and beyond her intimate and seemingly innate knowledge of ancient Egypt, other bizarre attributes were reported for Om Seti as well. People in the village where she lived, near um, in the village of Abydos, claimed that she was unafraid of cobras and could spellbind them, after which she would feed them from her hand like pets without being bitten. She was also believed to have powerful medicinal abilities. Om Seti was said to make use of the magical curative waters of the sacred pool in the Osirian to heal herself as well as others from various ailments. 
In addition to her claims that the pool had cured her of arthritis, appendicitis, and allowed her to stop wearing glasses, several villagers also claimed that the waters had cured them of a wide range of afflictions, from respiratory illnesses to hearing and vision difficulties. Olmsetti was said to be especially good at curing impotency <laughs> through what she said were spells written in ancient texts. The fuck? Yeah, she was just like this like weird little like medicine woman who like knew where ancient shit was she was just this really interesting little character yeah and she just brought so much flavor and life i think to um you know when you when you look at like archaeology and like it's kind of a grind i want to be her when i grow up and she just like lived amongst it her whole life you know anyway i love this she is cool man Although most archaeologists and Egyptologists were hesitant to put any weight into her well-publicized claims of reincarnation for her purported healing abilities, they were, there was no denying the remarkable contributions that Olmsetti had made to the field of archaeology. Researchers were hesitant to call Olmsetti a crackpot, though, mm-hmm. um, because it was more that she was more seen as an eccentric. Mm-hmm. Those who knew her described her as remarkably sane, despite her far-out claims. There were also many in the field who were somewhat confounded by her unerring uh, faculty of ancient Egypt, which left them scratching their heads over how to react about her claims of reincarnation, which no one publicly acknowledged, but perhaps secretly wondered at. Through it all, Omsetti's sincerity was never called into doubt, and the Egyptologist James P. Allen once said of her eccentricities and claims, sometimes you weren't sure if the Omsetti was pulling your leg, not that she was a phony in what she said or believed. She was absolutely not a con artist. But she knew that some people looked on her as a crackpot. So sometimes she just fed into that notion and let it go either way. She believed enough to make it she believed enough to make it spooky and made you doubt your own sense of reality sometimes. That's cute. I like that. Yeah. I like she's that. Just a cool little lady. Yeah. No matter what the own said he said, the results she produced spoke for themselves. She was, in fact, remarkably respected in the fields of archaeology and Egyptology, and scholars were quick to hail Olmsetti's meticulous, impressive knowledge of ancient Egypt, with many of the top researchers of their field relying heavily on her observations as source material. So Olmsetti was officially set to retire in 1964 due to the mandatory retirement age, but she was so useful and knowledgeable that the Antiquities Department actually made an exception for her and let her continue until 1969. Good for her. And even after her retirement, Olmsetti continued to serve as a consultant for the Antiquities Department. She also served as a guide for tourists visiting the Temple of Seti until her death on April 21st, 1981. 1981. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible. 1904 to 1981. And she just the, the whole, changes she saw the, in technology. Oh my God, exactly. And, and especially in archaeology. Travel. She archaeology. goes from well, apparently she is from before our time, right? So she goes from this time where she is amongst the people of, of Egypt, right? And then she becomes this person in nineteen oh four. Brand new, scared, f- f- like all fidgety and hiding behind couches and being afraid of everyone to adapting to her life and adapting to this kind of role that she's now taking on. Yeah. And she goes through all the different types of technology advancements. And I, I, I remember in your reading, you were saying that they did um, different types of scanning and everything. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the technology that right. she is seeing now? She saw radar. It's incredible what yeah. she went through what she saw and how much she accomplished and how much she was a part 
the lot of the discoveries that happened. Yeah. I am fucking fascinated. <laughs> I am so excited. <laughs> this is crazy. Oh this is so crazy. So I, I thought that it was interesting mm. that she definitely seemed like kind of scared of everything when she was yeah. a small child. Yeah, hiding by the couches. And, and like, then she free. had those, um, those dreams where uh, Hora came to her and explained to her about her past life mm-hmm. and then she sort of seemed to be at peace with it and she, she was sort of like to it. she adapted well, to the world just and let like, me oh, learn yeah. stuff and i'm just gonna learn about this new world and i'm yeah. just gonna study my old texts and that's why it's easy for me to pick up and now everyone I just can't imagine that i can read this i can't imagine that 11 year old doing hieroglyphics i mean i think that i could like do like two of them at 11 because i remember it was like 11 or 12 when we were learned about ancient egypt but yeah it's pretty pretty oh, cool yeah. So, one of the last things, a quote from Om Seti. Om Seti had once said, death holds no terror for me. I'll do my best to just get through the judgment. I'm going to come before Osiris, who will probably give me a few dirty looks because I know I've committed some things I shouldn't have. Because the Muslims and Christians wouldn't let a heathen be buried in their graveyards, Om Seti built her own underground tomb decorated yes. with a false door. Holy fuck, yes. I love this woman so much. <laughs> Through this door, the Ka was believed to travel between the, this world and the next, and it was engraved with the offering prayer in conformance with ancient beliefs. The staff of Chicago House gave her an imitation Schwabti figurine to place within her tomb. And on April 10th, 1981, she gave away her two cats as uh, as her condition deteriorated. And on the 15th of April, she received a letter from Olivia, Robert, Olivia Robertson confirming that Om Seti has been enrolled in the Fellowship of Isis, an interfaith spiritual movement focused on the goddess. And on April 21st, 1981, the Om Seti died in Abydos. But sadly, the local health authority refused to allow her to be buried in the tomb that she had constructed. And instead, against her wishes, she was interred in an unmarked grave facing the west in the desert outside of a Coptic cemetery. How rude. I know. Her passing left a gaping hole in the field of Egyptology and a wake of wonder and mystery as to who she had really been. What about her son? Her son couldn't fight that? I mean, I don't, they don't really talk anything about her son, like, as an adult. So I don't know if they remained close, if maybe he went to spend more time with his father. I mean, I mean, I mean her name is of her son. Right. But, I mean, they don't, like, you don't really yeah. hear about him when it comes to her story. They're not intrinsically linked. By the time she went to Abydos, she was in her 50s. Mm-hmm. So he was long. He was long away from her, I'm sure. That's you so, know? So sad. It's like, oh. And I don't think he would be able to fight it because the issue is that how do you bury someone who is neither Muslim or Coptic Christian in Egypt, right? Those are pretty much the only two. She actually believed in full belief in the ancient gods. That's who she worshipped and that's she performed rituals to that effect. She made her own temple. She should have been able to be buried in it. I mean, you know, if you said today that you wanted to be buried outside, we couldn't do it. So, I mean, it's 1981. They weren't just going to let you no. just get buried whenever, wherever. Which, I mean, not for nothing. Like, I'm not saying, oh, I love that. But, like, no. But 81, then I was born in 82. Very, very close. Very, very close. Are you the Om Seti kinda I'm kind of thinking I am. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I, I've never seen your proficiency with hieroglyphics, Robin. You're going to have to prove it to me. So, yeah. So, whether or not she was 
just super into Egyptology and Egyptian history from a very early age and that like actually molded who she no, was. I believe uh, I believe that she's special. I like this story. I there's think. there's something there. She's very she's very special. And even like no matter where you read about her, you will find that people can't discount her completely mm-hmm. because she did things that just were unexplainable. Like there's no way that a woman born in England could stand outside of a temple and say the garden is here and have you dig and find the garden. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. You know, or that she would be like, oh, no, there's more tombs in the Valley of the Kings. And explain all the paintings on the wall and the different types of – Right. It's just it's, – it's beautiful. I love it. So it's beyond belief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some things are very easy to discount and you're easy to, like, call people crackpots. But I like the story because I don't – I don't think you can really call her a crackpot. No, not at all. That no matter – I mean, you know I am the world's greatest skeptic. I don't believe anything. And I have a hard time discounting this story. And I – read this and I was like, this woman's story deserves to be told as often and as loudly as anyone can. Absolutely. And there you go. That is the story of the Om Seti, a life lived twice. Just another notorious narrative. I fucking love that so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.